Hi, Susan here from Screen Test of Time. A quick content warning before we start the episode. There is a scene of sexual assault in the film we review this week, and David and I do discuss it and reference it several times, so please proceed with caution. everyone and welcome to the screen test of time the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for best picture in order from the very first award ceremony to eventually the present year after we have watched all of the films in a given year we will tell you if the academy chose correctly this week we continue the 1932-1933 nominees with the Gary Cooper and Helen Hayes adaptation of Hemingway's A Farewell to Arms. I'm Susan Raslin. And I'm David Daw. And a few weeks back after listening to an earlier recording, I decided on a personal project to try and curse less. And this week after listening to our Cimarron episode, I decided on a personal project to try and not say this movie was so weird or nothing happens in this movie. And just like last time, I picked a really bad week <laughs> to, to start doing that. Uh, yeah. I mean, stuff happens in this movie. I, the war happens, Susan. Yes. Literally the war. But what is there to say about the war? And I will say, like, one of the high points I think of it, besides the fact that it is a full hour shorter than the 1957 adaptation that we thankfully do not have to watch, <laughs> is the parts where you see the war, right? The part toward the end where he is, like, abandoning his post and trying to find her, which, spo spoilers? Spoilers on this movie from 1933. Based on a book from before then yes but that part the matte paintings and the special effects and the crowd shots and all of that stuff was great but it is also just so relentlessly hemingway -y. and i don't know why i didn't think it would be because i thought like they were gonna botch the adaptation in the way hollywood does and dumb it down and i was gonna be like finally they t they picked a good book to do that with but no, this is like a relentlessly Hemingway-y Hemingway adaptation. Yeah, everybody in it is very laconic, which I feel like is the quote-unquote correct choice because it is faithful to the book. It makes for a difficult movie to watch, despite the fact that it's only 85 minutes. Because really, what is a movie without people talking to one another? <laughs> what it reminded me of, and maybe it's just because of that like Entertainment Weekly cover story from this week. Oh, it's like Dawson's Creek for World War One. It's not how people talk. It's how people want to talk. It's how everybody wanted to have been talking about World War One during World War One is like these grand pronouncements about... What is life in this world after the war? We're just like, everybody was kind of busy with the war at the time. So no one was doing these monologues. And people also spoke in sentences that were longer than five words long. Yes. The dialogue feels so clipped. 
it really shows in those grand monologues because if somebody is talking for a, a long amount of time, but every one of their sentences has a full stop after the fifth word, it's okay. Nobody talks this way, and I am not. I, I am not like a lot of people anti Hemingway in any way. I've, I've read a bunch of his stuff in college, and I I liked it. I was gonna say I enjoyed it, but I feel like saying that you enjoyed Hemingway is like not the right that is not the right verb for what you do with Hemingway I found it to be a really hmm, let's not use the word weird I found there to be a huge clash between the very very sweeping sentimentality of this movie and the extremely laconic dialogue I mean I think the result of that is often that characters will one of my favorite Futurama jokes of all time is that they're watching a play and somebody just kind of does a very this movie-esque monologue about their inner emotional state. And one of the characters watching it goes, you can't just have a character say how they feel. That makes me angry. And like so many, so many monologues in this movie are characters just suddenly and inexplicably saying how they feel. In like six words, in this way where like no one has that complete of an understanding of their own emotional state. No, never. (laughs) To just suddenly go like, well, here is how I see it in my complete point of view as a person. Good day. (laughs) And you're like, what? To really quickly run down the story of this movie, in case people haven't read A Farewell to Arms, there's a guy who's an American. His name is Frederick. He is serving as an ambulance driver in World War War one but for the Italian army he has a friend who is Major Rinaldi who's a doctor who calls Frederick baby all the time extremely confusingly also it sounds like David he falls in love with an English Red Cross nurse whose name is Catherine played by Helen Hayes during a bomb raid he kisses her she's like get off me Um, When you get done with this, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Wikipedia summary of this plot, which is very generous to Frederick, let us say. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the sexism in this movie, it made me super uncomfortable because it verges on violence. Yes. And also that whole exchange is definitely one of the times where I was like, okay, the Hemingway-esque dialogue is really not selling this scene for me. Anyway, Catherine and Frederick still end up falling in love anyway, but apparently it was against the rules for Red Cross nurses to have relationships with people in the army, which throw back to wings. I mean, I guess that's why Clara Bow got kicked out of the Red Cross. I do feel like retroactively I owe wings an apology. (laughs) Apparently this was a thing. Anyway, she gets pregnant. She ends up going to Switzerland. He finds her in Switzerland and then she dies of a Victorian wasting disease. No, she she has a stillborn child and then dies from complications of that. Armistice Day is announced and tragically she dies. The end. Yes, there is the like really real shit of the stillborn baby there, but they do definitely do the Victorian wasting disease thing of she's just dead. She's dead of being dead disease. Like, they don't ever really talk about, like, what she's actually sick with or what is wrong. She just goes, I'm not going to make it, am I? And the doctors are like, no, definitely not. Coincidentally, my wife and I watched Walk Hard last night, the John C. Riley biopic parody. And just there is a very, like, 
oh, I'm cutting half pretty bad thing to the way that she dies, where it's just like she is suddenly and tragically definitely for sure dead. Yeah, they do not go into details. It's not like, oh, yeah, she has preeclampsia or anything. It's just like, nope, she's she's dead of of delivering a stillborn child. Which is, you know, not the most medically impossible thing in the world, but kind of weird when every character has spent the whole movie going like, the war destroys all the happiness in the world. And it's like, well, I mean, the war didn't really, she just kind of fell over dead. Like, the war didn't really do that to her. That just kind of was a super shitty thing that happened. That's on God, not on <laughs> World War One. There's a lot of stuff I'll blame World War One for, but not for this. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, to get into the Wikipedia summary, the, the two things where I'm like, dude, you kind of know are a somewhat drunk Frederick makes a poor first impression. Oh, you mean that time he mistakes her for a hooker and calls her a hooker and then looks up and is suddenly like, oh, wait a second, you're not a hooker. (laughs) Bye. And then the big one, which is in the darkness, he romantically seduces her over her half-hearted resistance. Nope. Definitely for sure not half-hearted. Yeah, no, she slaps him in the face. She slaps him in the face and says no repeatedly, and then is, like, literally hysterical after he straight up rapes her. Like, that is what happened. Yeah. And then, like, it kind of colors the rest of the movie in a way that I don't know how intentional it is, that she kind of seems to hysterically decide she must be in love with him because the other possibility is too terrible to imagine. To be fair, when I said that I'm not necessarily not a fan of Hemingway, (laughs) I didn't read this book. (laughs) Also, I have never actually read A Farewell to Arms. I should have, like, said that up front. Like, I've read The Sun Also Rises and, like, a handful of short stories. To say that this movie's approach to romance and sexual relationships is problematic is to wildly understate the fact. And as far as, like, standing the screen test of time, this movie failed. Like, straight up F. After that scene, there is no way that it could come back from it. I honestly, like, it is a thing where I, like, kind of wish I'd read the book to say is, is there, like, an out here of, like, because in the movie, their love is, like, blessed by as close to God as it can be as, like, true love. There is a character whose whole existence is to repeatedly state, like, your love is one of the only good and pure things in this world and it will be destroyed by this terrible war. And in the book, maybe it's either, one, more complicated how they get together, or two, more complicated how their love is seen in the book. Because there was a read of, like, oh, like, the World War One is so horrible that these two people have to just hold on to each other, because that's, like, the best they're gonna do, and that's super shitty, was a read I was going with for about half an hour before I was like, oh, no, that is me being way too generous. I am supposed to believe that they have a real and tragic love, and not that it is weird at all that he raped her. Which is not to say that there are no instances where there are relationships that begin that way. That certainly does happen, but... There's no way for me to come back from that to their love is blessed by the bon dieu. Which, interestingly enough, Benjamin Glazer, who wrote the screenplay for this, also wrote the screenplay for Seventh Heaven. 
And it totally shows. Yeah. Because even in trying to adapt Hemingway and trying to stick to that very laconic, very brief dialogue, there is so much about this that is like the dark version of Seventh Heaven. Yeah. Where, which we were constantly asking for during our Seventh Heaven episode, and maybe apologies to Seventh Heaven as well. I have regrets. <laughs> the dark version of Seventh Heaven sucks because it involves rape. Yeah. What really sucks about it is that the rest of the movie, if that hadn't been the way that it started out, like, I'd buy it. I'd be like, okay, they have the only pure and true and good thing in all of World War One, and it will be destroyed by the war. And instead, I'm like, oh, man, Catherine has had the worst experience. She gets raped by this guy, then spends a lot of time thinking that he doesn't love her because her letters are stolen by Major Rinaldi. Then uh, has a stillborn child and dies. And I kind of feel like the movie makes it that the tragedy is Frederick's and not hers. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. Like, he is the one that has the breakdown. He is the one that has, you know lost everything in that he has lost his station and what could be more important in a Hemingway novel. He is the one who abandons all this stuff for the sake of her and then doesn't even get her is supposed to be the tragedy of this ending. And like, I don't like Frederick very much. I like him better than almost every other character in this movie because everyone sucks. But like, I don't like him. He is a bad person. Just because Major Rinaldi is also a bad person doesn't necessarily make me care all that much. There is one person in this movie who you are supposed to hate, which is Catherine's friend Helen. Are you supposed to hate Helen? Because Helen is like, eh, Helen's fine. Like, Helen just doesn't like Frederick very much. Yeah, well, see, I think you're supposed to not like her because she doesn't like Frederick, who is our protagonist. I think Helen is the best person in this movie, and that Catherine should have listened to Helen and been like, that guy sucks, I'm out. Yeah. Everything would have turned out better for her. It's weird because Helen also has the, like, weird, prophetic, weird, nervous breakdown when they're all at that cafe, where she is the one that is like, you'll never get married, it'll never happen because no one can ever be happy in this world. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm just so, like... Oh, it's just the stress. Bye. <laughs> the war gave her Cassandra disease. Yeah. There's also just like these weird, which again is a thing where I wish I had read the book, where characters will like weirdly turn on a dime. Rinaldi suddenly deciding he is going to help Frederick is so bizarre because his stated motivation is like, oh, if I'd realized you were that into this girl. And it's like, what are you? What? How did you not realize that an hour ago? That's been his only motivation for any action since, like, minute 12 of this movie. And yet suddenly he's like, no, I really have to see her. No, I really, really have to see her. And Rinaldi is like, oh, I guess I will stop being a complete fuck and sabotaging your relationship now that you said really twice. <laughs> Well, and that's that's the total Hemingway thing is like that you, you've got to say really twice, because if you've only got five words in a, in a sentence and you use two of them for really, then it's real. Which speaking of Rinaldi, he is an interesting character to me because he definitely feels like he's supposed to be the comic relief 
in a movie that has absolutely no business having comic relief. Right. And like, it isn't even that usual sort of way that you do that. It's not like, you know, mash, like he's drinking and making jokes to forget the horrors of the war. There's a little bit of that, but it mostly seems like he is literally there to like, Liven up the scenes a little. Get things moving. He's basically there to talk fast and call Frederick baby. Yeah. I don't know how much this is a bad movie and how much this is a bad adaptation. And I am not going to read A Farewell to Arms to find out. But that is my big overhanging question of this, is like, how much of what I do not like about this film is inherent to A Farewell to Arms and how much is about the way that it was adapted. And like, I think the dialogue, I can firmly blame on Hemingway. It's very, very Hemingway. Yeah, it definitely feels like they just, for a lot of it, they just straight up lifted whatever is in the book. Yeah, but I think like some of the pacing and tonal stuff, I can't quite tell where like Hemingway ends and the like studio producer, you gotta get a close up of Helen Hayes on this one, starts, I don't know. I don't know who to blame for, like, large parts of Act 2. The most interesting thing to me about Act 2 actually had nothing to do with the relationship. It was the part where Frederick gets busted for drinking, and the nurse is like, you can't just stay out of the war as quote-unquote sick because you're drinking yourself to death. I can't tell whether I'm supposed to be on the nurse's side in that scene. He seems so personally offended by the suggestion that he's an alcoholic. Yeah, she calls it self-inflicted alcoholism, and I'm like... I mean, that isn't how that works. (laughs) Is there, like, a different kind? (laughs) I mean, I guess, like, in Jessica Jones, there's that... What's his name? Who... Oh, Purple Man. Well, no, but, like, the character that, uh, that Purple Man, like, makes take heroin. Oh, right, right. So I guess, like, there is one instance in fiction of someone being a not-self-inflicted addict, but, like... You gotta ingest the stuff. Right. That's the thing is like the head nurse nun lady is like very clearly portrayed as like this moral stickler that doesn't get it. But he's 100% drinking himself to death in a super unhealthy way. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I understand addiction is a disease and it's not a choice, but like it is always (laughs) self-inflicted. Yeah. It's not that I think like the movie doesn't put enough blame on him as much as like I'm not sure that like I'm supposed to get that he's an alcoholic from that scene and not that the nurse is totally wrong about him being an alcoholic and just wants to screw him over because they're real sticklers about him and Catherine being together. Yeah I mean that's total Hemingway. I mean Hemingway was an alcoholic so of course you'd be like well I'm not an alcoholic. (laughs) That that nurse was a stick in the mud. And it's like, nah. Yeah, and Hemingway definitely would have said stick in the mud. That is absolutely the term Hemingway would have used. That's too many words. <laughs> I I am joking because there is another word Hemingway would have used, and it's good we're not using it. There is enough outdated sexism in this movie. <laughs> We don't need to contribute to it. Yeah. I mean, I didn't like this movie. The problem is that there were things about this movie that I liked. 
No, there were things about this movie I respected. There is not anything in this movie that I really liked. I felt no joy watching this movie. There was no moment of transcendence. Yeah. It was super frustrating to watch. There was some great acting. There was also some overacting. I also had this similar feeling of like, I spent so much time complaining for our first few movies of like, the lack of realistic depictions of World War One. And now, am I just joyless? Because definitely this movie ticks off that box of, like, World War One is terrible. But I'm still, like, I did not enjoy this movie. I did not have a good time. I did not even, like, the way where I didn't have a good time in All Quiet on the Western Front, respect the movie for making me not have a good time. I just didn't have a good time. The difference there is that this doesn't depict World War One as being terrible. It talks constantly about World War One being terrible. You're right. That's what I was starting out with is like the strongest parts of this movie are the relatively brief periods where it shows and doesn't tell you that World War One sucks. And that's about 10 minutes of the movie. The way that they talk about the war is as if it has been going on forever. At a certain point, Catherine says she used to be in love with this guy and and he went to the war and she thought that it was going to be one way. But then she's like, but that was before I knew what the war was really like. I mean, World War One went on for a while, but it wasn't forever. Yeah, I mean, and I get where like it must have felt like forever from inside it. But the weird pronouncements about the war are from like this almost detached, omniscient third person perspective. The level of perspective these people have on the war is weird. I'm sorry I ruined it. I got so far. (laughs) It is bizarre. Again, it's that Dawson's Creek thing. No 17-year-old is that self-aware about their emotional state and able to talk that expressively about all of their interior and exterior problems. And similarly, nobody bogged down in World War I is sitting there making these grand pronouncements about, like, the nature of war. It just, it's, it's weird. It feels weird. And the way they talk about the war is as if it's a place. Yeah. And not a temporal thing that is happening for a period of time. Exactly. It's, they are outside of the war in this weird way when they talk about it. It is such a detached take on it. I don't know. I keep wanting to like give this weird benefits of the doubt. And I don't know why, because like we said, like it already does not pass the screen test of time. Like it struck out when he rapes her. Like that's just like good. Goodbye. You lose. But like I keep going like, did I miss something? This is the first movie where I feel like the sort of critical consensus is so high on it. I like start doubting myself and thinking maybe I am missing some angle and am super stupid, but it's not a pleasant watch. It doesn't seem particularly persuasive or emote like grounded in emotional realism. It has some good performances and it has some nice sequences, but it's the third best war movie we've watched? Question mark? So far? Uh, how many have we watched? So there's been Seventh Heaven, Wings, All Quiet. The Hollywood Review of Night? No. <laughs> no, that was not one. That felt like a war, but was not actually one. I would rate this below Wings, although Wings keeps rising in my estimation and... Like, I will probably give it a higher score than I gave Wings, 
All Quiet and Wings, I think, are better World War One movies than this. All Quiet, absolutely. Wings, I liked, so I, I definitely think that it's better. Seventh Heaven was, like, not a good World War One movie at all, but at least was not painful to watch. Those are all the war movies that we've watched. God, it really feels like there were more. <laughs> it really does. I think it's just, like, there were just so many that have, like, referenced World War One either directly or indirectly. Well, I'm a fugitive from a chain gang. The guy has come home from World War One, So there is that reference. Yeah, and I think either the front page or Five Star Final has like a, this is what they're doing after the war, is working in a newspaper, is like a subplot. And Grand Hotel mentions the war, because there's the guy who has the yes. disfigurement on his face, which is just some red makeup. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't <laughs> like this movie. I didn't like it. I... Something I find really amazing, because you were talking about how, like, the critical consensus is so much higher than you feel like makes sense. There are references in the Wikipedia entry mm -hmm. to two articles that were written in 2016 that are really positive reviews of this, one of which calls it a testament to the eternal love between a couple, and actually specifically says, but time has been kind to the film. And I'm like, really? Because... Are we just living in an entirely different world than we were two years ago? Because I feel like yeah. watching a movie that shows a relationship that begins with sexual assault and then is like, oh no, but they're like really in love feels really, really just disgusting. And then the other one says that it is one of the most thrilling visions of the power of sexual love. And I'm like, for real? I'm not even sure I know what that means, and yet I still know it doesn't apply to this film. No! <laughs> yeah, this this has aged, regardless of whether we're, like, missing something about the, like, dialogue and the point of view and the portrayal of World War One as this, like, terrible thing outside of yourself that looms large and which you can never speak about but are constantly talking about, it has not withstood the screen test of time simply because of the nature of their relationship. Yeah, people are just weirdly eager to gloss over it. And it's gross. It is super gross, and I and I don't understand it at all. If you're writing an essay in 2016 about a movie that came out in 1932 and you don't feel like you should address that, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Yeah. No offense to those critics who now hate us and have blackballed our show. But we didn't name we didn't name them, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I, I don't have a whole lot more to say about this. The cinematography is good. Like, Charles Lang is a great cinematographer. There's a reason that he's tied for the most nominations for best cinematography. But even his, you know, Vaselining up the lens can't save this movie. I get the cinematography win, but it is definitely like i don't care enough it matters those are those are the strongest sequences are the visual heavy sequences that is a correct take from the academy if you're gonna give it an award cinematography is the award to give it but i it it's not a movie where i'm like yeah but like the visuals are so like it's not even shanghai express it doesn't do what shanghai express did where it feels like it's really pushing the entire medium forward. It just feels like there's some nice shots in here. It's good cinematography for the time, not revolutionary. Yeah, this is, I feel like this is such a downer of an episode. And like, 
on some level good, but also just like, yeah, it's just us trying to find some way I feel like to go like higher, higher than like a 3.5 or a 4 and not finding it. I keep looking under new couch cushions for some reason to love this movie. And boy, do I not come up with anything. Gary Cooper is good, but he's not good enough to make me like Frederick. Yeah, exactly. Helen Hayes is good, but she's extremely melodramatic. Which also seems like yet another one of those, like, this is a weird choice and I can't tell where the weird choice originated. Was she this melodramatic in the book? Did the director demand she be this melodramatic? Did the director try to stop her from being this melodramatic, but it was the acting style at the time? I don't know who to blame for a kind of tonally weird, almost made it with just the one, performance from Helen Hayes. Like, the melodrama does sometimes fits, and sometimes super does not. Yeah, I mean, the way that it fits is to make me think that she's essentially had a psychological breakdown and has convinced herself that she loves this man who raped her. Oh yeah, that was my read. That was up until the weird scene where the priest, like, kind of but not really marries them. I was like, oh, this is like a portrait of this terrible, horrible relationship that is not love at all, but is the closest thing to love these people can find in this terrible time. And then it's like, oh no, we're supposed to be on the side of their love. Oh, oh crap. (laughs) The best performance she gives is the like hysterical, absolutely losing her mind performance she gives after he assaults her. And her declaration that she loves him also has this, like, not even a twinge. There's mania there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, like, the fact that that is at least not the dominant read that the script seems to be suggesting really threw me for a loop. Well, and it also is really difficult to reconcile that with the fact that she's not the protagonist that Frederick is. Yeah. That it's not the story of this woman who basically puts up a psychological barrier between what happened to her and what she's decided to do, I don't know, for survival in this really terrible situation. But it's like, we're supposed to believe that Frederick is so great. I don't know that that it's fine. You know, fuck Frederick. Yeah. And fuck this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when it comes right down to it, yeah. Like, I... And, like, there's so many things where I have kind of been like, are we allowed to do that? Like, it's Gary Cooper. It's a farewell to arms. It's all these things. And it's like, no, at the end of the day, fuck Frederick and fuck this movie. Yeah, absolutely. I am looking forward to seeing Gary Cooper and Helen Hayes in movies where I don't hate them. I actually, I don't hate Catherine. I feel yes. an enormous amount of pity for her. But I hate Frederick. He sucks. He's terrible. He's a rapist. And the tragedy of this movie is that he didn't die. Yep. Maybe he does later in the sequel <laughs> i mean eventually he's he's in his like 30s in 1918 so he's probably dead by now yeah good <laughs> i also hate that adolf menju who plays rinaldi was my i don't know if he was my favorite character he was the character that made me the least uncomfortable that's like a really really low bar But apparently the actor was like, he was a really, really hardcore Republican and he 
like, cooperated with the House Committee on Un-American Activities. Oh, God. Yeah, and he apparently had an ongoing feud with Catherine Hepburn because of it. Yeah, this is bonkers. I'm reading this Wikipedia page right now. How does anyone think time has been kind to this movie? There is nothing about this movie that would pass a studio in 2018. And with good reason. I would say if you asked me if you should watch this movie, no. Absolutely don't watch this movie. Maybe read the book and tell us how faithful of an adaptation it was. But other than that, don't don't read, don't watch the movie. And really then, like, I don't want to put you through that. Yeah, I guess the options are you're doing that to punish yourself or you're doing that to yell at me on Twitter. So actually, either way, don't watch this movie. Don't watch it. What did we rate this? Did we 3.3? Three? No, I'm giving it a one. Wow. Okay. It failed. It failed. It failed the screen test of time in no uncertain terms. A supercut of shots of map paintings in this movie F. would be a 10 minute film that deserves a six. So just, so the map, I, I, yeah, no, it failed. It failed. I mean, it's the sort of thing where it's like, you know, in, in English class at like high school, where if you have a comma splice or something, your teacher is like, you failed. I don't care what the rest of the content of the paper was. You failed. <laughs> it failed. There are kind things that we could say about it. We already said them. Yeah. It's out. And I cannot wait to move on to next week. Fair. And God, what we're doing next week. I did not think I would be excited to go from a farewell to arms to State Fair, which honestly, from both the title and from the poster, looks like one of the shorts that they used to play at the start of MST3K episodes. No, we're, we're doing She Done Him Wrong. Wait, are we? Isn't State Fair before? No, January 27th. Yep. Aha. Uh-huh. I got confused because it's February 10th and somehow in my brain it was like the 10 mattered more than the month. (laughs) It's got two weeks on it almost. Yep. I am super excited about this movie because it has Mae West in it. So hopefully it's great. And also Cary Grant. And also the poster is garbage. The poster is oh, really this is, bad. This is going to be great. It's going to be really good because the poster is is really bad. Yeah. It also, the Hayes Code banned the play on which it was based. Also a good sign. So it, it should be great. Yeah. It should be great. And Charles Lang did the cinematography. So, like, here's him doing a thing that's not morally reprehensible. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> hopefully hopefully it is probably immoral because may west wrote it but in a good way (laughs) on the wrong side of the Hayes code is usually on the right side of history but (laughs) you know occasion broken clock twice a day that kind of thing i guess until then until then this was a movie that sucked this was a movie and it sucked and we're sorry this episode was such a doubter but so was this movie until next week when everything is hopefully much more joyful. This was a movie. Bye. (laughs) Goodbye.